0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by CARP, where you can meet like minded people fighting for a new vision of aging. Find out more at carp.ca.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer Worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. It's the only EMS in the world that seamlessly integrates thousands of staff with thousands of volunteers, ranging from teenagers to seniors. Filmmaker Martin Himmel has a first-person look at Israel's Magenda David Dom and the best advice for retirement planning. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Japan's population had its largest drop on record, falling by 644,000 to just over 125 million last year. It reflects a decline in foreign residents amid tighter border controls over the pandemic and the rapidly aging society. While Japan saw 831,000 births last year, the number was outpaced by the year's 1.4 million deaths. Japan faces the dual challenge of a declining workforce and a graying population. A Japanese writer who gathered the accounts of survivors of the U.S. firebombing of Tokyo in the Second World War has died. Katsumoto Saotome was 90. The Tokyo native was 12 when he narrowly survived the firebombing of the city in March 1945. More than 105,000 people were killed in the attack, and more than a million were left homeless. The devastation has been largely eclipsed in history by the U.S. atomic bombings of two Japanese cities several months later. Microsoft is estimating cybercrime will cost the world $10.5 trillion a year by 2025. In a blog post, the company says that's up from 3 trillion a decade ago and 6 trillion just last year. Last year, Microsoft blocked more than 9 billion malware threats and more than 35 billion phishing and other malicious emails. A silver tea set belonging to the late U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg is going to a family with a five-year-old who once dressed as Ginsburg for Halloween. And a medal Ginsburg was awarded when she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame is going to a family that demonstrated recently for reproductive rights. These are just two of the 150 items owned by the late Justice that sold at auction this week for over $803,000 for the Washington National Opera, one of her passions. Ginsburg died of cancer at age 87 in September 2020. The auction's biggest ticket item was a drawing of Ginsburg, which sold for $55,000. The first ever doll with hearing aids will be part of Mattel's new line of fashionista Barbies. It's part of the 63-year-old American doll manufacturer's efforts towards diversity and inclusion. Changes have been made to the stereotypical Barbie body type, too. From smaller chests to fuller figures and even slender, less muscular male dolls, the new toys are intended to be more representative of varied body types. I'm Libby Zneimer and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Israel's EMS, Emergency Medical Service, is unique in the world because it's 25,000 staff medics work alongside 29,000 trained volunteers. Filmmaker Martin Himmel is one of them. No, what's the call? Uh, People fell from their balcony.
2: Um, and uh, they're stuck under a table right now. All right, conscious now or not? Yes. Okay, thanks. I'm a veteran filmmaker and also a journalist, but for the last 22 years, I've had a sort of special calling. I volunteer as an EMT advanced medic on Maginda Vida Dom, which is the EMS service in Israel. It's also known as MDA.
1: I sat down with Martin at our Liberty Village
2: studios. It is the only EMS in the world where you have thousands and thousands of volunteers taking equal responsibility with paramedics and medics who are on staff. It's unheard of in any other country in the world. In the United States, in small communities where they don't have enough people, some volunteers work there, but never in the big cities. So Israel is really unique. That it offers people of all sorts of professions, backgrounds, religious, non-religious, Arab, non-Arab, Jewish, to volunteer and gain the responsibility and the, and the training in order to be medics. What it capitalizes on, and this has proved to be quite interesting, is that people who don't make money and want to give this way usually get a profound sense of accomplishment and reward from just simply trying to help people.
1: How does it work? Do you tell them you're available for duty today?
2: The way it works is there's a person in each area, the country's divided into areas, was responsible for uh, volunteers. And you get in touch with them and, and you can either do it online or you do it on a phone call and say, look, I'd like to do a shift on Thursday at five o'clock. So you give six hours. They arrange an ambulance and they arrange other volunteers who are usually much younger than you. Who uh, join with you, and you're on a shift, and then you're on the roster, and then they call you. Then you're you work from a from a station, just like any EMT, any paramedic from any country. And when there's calls, you
1: go. Part of the reason for this system is because there had been so many terror attacks in Israel, and there was an issue with getting enough medical help in a timely way.
2: That's true. It actually started with the before the country even existed when there were only pioneers and uh, people who just came to live there and there were no set police or uh, medical systems, etc. And that's where the volunteer system really started. And then it became really acute during what was called the Second Intifada. And that was in the early 2000s when there were suicide bombings going off in Tel Aviv, Jerusalem and elsewhere. And uh, it became critical that people... Uh, are attended to within seconds minutes because that would make the difference in life and death so volunteers with the most basic training the most like a week's worth of training can make an absolute difference in life and death in a situation like that
1: that's the way the system started and now you said you tell them when you're available for a shift but there's also this incredible app If something happens to alert all medics that are in the area, how does that work?
2: Everybody's got a smartphone and everybody's got a GPS locator in the smartphone. And if you decide, okay, today between the hours of, I don't know, 4 and 8 p.m., if something happens in my area, I want to be alerted. You flick a switch on your MDA app. Do you have an app from the MDA? And that alerts the system that if something happens in your area, they'll let you know. You'll get a, a message. That doesn't mean that you have to go. It just means that if there's something really of an emergency and you want to go, you can go and then you press a button and it tells the system that you're in the area and you're running for it.
1: You start the film where you are on a shift. Right. You tell people you're over 60 and you're working with some teenagers. That's right. On the other side, there was one of your colleagues. Also, he said he's 72 and retired. Why is that such a big deal?
2: Well, he's also a cancer survivor, by the way. He, uh, it's a big deal in the sense there's no age of retirement in MDA. You can go as long as that you're capable, 80 years old, <laughs> whatever it is. And the, the idea is that you can give it at any age. As long as you're capable of handling the uh, shift, no one questions it.
1: It would never occur to me that someone 70, 72 would be unable to handle it.
2: It's a lot of physical work. It's not just uh, you have to lift patients up. You've got to take them into beds. You've got to sometimes climb a lot of stairs. You've got to pull people out of car accidents. It's a lot of physical work. So sometimes it's harder for o- older people. Not impossible, but it can be harder. And the important thing is 72 is not the limit anyway. You can keep going as long as you're capable.
1: You spend a lot of time in the film on a religious Muslim one, woman named Irene who wears a hijab. It was very interesting, uh, first of all, uh, that she got along so well and was well accepted by patients and whoever who were Jewish. Uh, and she also talked about how it gave her a lot of confidence.
2: Uh, Ria is actually one of the most interesting characters in the documentary. Uh, as many people may realize or not, Israel, Israeli society is not just a Jewish society. About 25% of the population is either Muslim or somewhat Christian, mostly vast majority Muslim, uh, and Arab. And um, uh, contrary to what many people might say that it's a apartheid society, which it is not, um, uh, MDA is one of the major places, this EMS, where you really have complete equality. And, and she's a senior paramedic. So in other words, Jews that are working with her are under her command. And it's never questioned and it's never uh, looked at wrongly. Basically, what I learned in this uh, documentary is when it becomes issues of helping people who are ill, of saving lives, we traverse all sorts of barriers that we don't have in our normal life. And we traverse uh, ethnic barriers, national barriers, and we just become human beings.
1: Do you think this can serve as a model for anything here in Canada?
2: In many ways, yes. I talked to I've spoken to many EMS groups here in Toronto and in Calgary, and there are huge shortages of manpower and there's huge shortages of uh ambulances and it, everything could be augmented with volunteers. It's just there's this mindset about we'll be sued. They can't rise to the occasion. They can't take on the responsibility. And it's simply not true. And a lot of the paramedics know it. And they would they see how it works in Israel. And they say, that would be a great system here.
1: Martin Himmel, congratulations. Thank you. That was filmmaker Martin Himmel. Tel Aviv 911 premieres Monday, May 16th at 9 p.m. Eastern on our sister station, Vision TV. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, the best financial advice for retirement is not about money.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, giving you the opportunity to get involved and make your community a better place for seniors. Find out more at carp.ca.
1: Recent carnage in the markets has many Zoomers reviewing their financial plans, but what is possibly the best advice ahead of retirement applies no matter which way the numbers are headed. Ten years ago, three quarters of respondents to RGF Integrated Wealth Management's Retirement Survey were very confident their marriage would adapt to retirement. Now, Fewer than half can say that, which is why financial advisor Clay Gillespie says the best preparation is to work on your marriage. I reached him in Vancouver.
3: What happens is if you get divorced right before retirement, you don't have a chance to rebuild your wealth. So you're you're stuck in a very much lower lifestyle um, than have happened earlier. And it just shows where we do a lot of planning for you know, the financial side of retirement, but sometimes we forget the most important thing, which is our lifestyle and our family planning. You know, the math behind having a household with one set of income and then dividing that by two households, math doesn't work very well in retirement.
1: I remember a few years ago, we heard a lot about this phenomenon called gray divorce. Where is it at now?
3: Uh, It's leveled off a little bit, but it, it, it went up, year after year after year, as life expectancies went up. Um, And so we still have a high level of great divorce. And it's still the highest, the past age 50 is the highest divorce rate in Canada now.
1: Is it a matter that the kids are grown and the couple looks at each other and say, I only have a certain amount of years left, and I'm not spending them with you doing what they wanted to do before? Or is it the pressures of being together uh, much more often than they were before?
3: I think it's a combination of both of those um, things that happen. Um, one, looking forward to saying, there's certain things I want to accomplish my life and I won't be able to do it inside a marriage. And second of all, the second part is, you know, you're all of a sudden with each other 24 hours a day, which you weren't before. Um, and that's a very trying time. Um, so the you know the best advice you can do is, long before retirement, try to work on this, so you understand each other, so at least you know what's coming. Um, it's true, I've had conversations with clients that their spouse doesn't know they're thinking about divorce, but I know, um, because they just want to know the financial implications of it.
1: What about couples where one person is retired and one person is not?
3: Yeah, that tends not to be such a big deal because one person's living their life and somebody's got their working life. I don't seem to see a particular problem there. Um, that seems to work out quite nicely, actually. It's when the second person retires, the problem hits because the one who retired early says, I already, I already have my life. I don't know what you want me to do with you. Um, so it's when the second one retires, it's a problem.
1: What do you recommend for people to avoid this or work around it?
3: Yeah, I mean, that that's tough, because I'm not a marriage counselor. Um, but w- what you would suggest is the earlier you find out it's an issue, the better you grow apart when you have children a little bit and you're going through your career because you're so busy doing other stuff. And there is a time where you want to start focusing on your your spouse long before retirement to make sure that you guys are heading in the same direction and your goals and aspirations can be met. It's amazing how many people don't talk about what they want to do in retirement because it's always just travel and do this. But at the end of the day, some people have bigger objectives in their lives. And the earlier you know that, the more you can work towards it.
1: So in terms of financial planning, uh, you're also saying that people have become a little complacent, partly because uh, for those of us who are baby boomers anyway, the value of our homes is just skyrocketed. And are people relying on that?
3: Oh yeah, we especially. I'm in Vancouver, and we see that all the time. Where they just think they, they, they have this big ass in their house, and they, of course, the problem with that, of course, is you got to live somewhere. Um, so you sell your house, you got to live somewhere, and and so it's it's not as easy as you think, um, unless you want to change your jurisdiction to move, you know, three four hours out of Toronto or three four hours out of Vancouver.
1: In what other ways are uh, people a little complacent about their financial? planning typically
3: most people that we see don't really understand how much income they can generate from their various assets because we have government pension entitlements we may have a company pension plan we may have rsps but it's translating that into a monthly income that they can live on for the rest of their lives is the most common thing that we see um complacent uh, the best word i could say for complacent especially with the baby boom generation is they think they're never going to retire because they're just going to keep working because they enjoy it. But sometimes the, the employer doesn't want that <laughs> and or their health declines and they just assume they can keep working. So the bigger complacency are the people that think they can just work forever. Guilty as charged. Yeah, yeah and, and, and I, uh, I personally think retirement is bad for your health. Um, <laughs> I so agree. Our, our definition of retirement is when you have enough pension and time investment assets that you're doing what you want to do you know, if you're trying to get up every morning and you, the example I use is if you're a golfer and you're going to say, well, I'm going to golf when I retired. But when you were working, you took, you went to golf to get away from work. What are you going to do when you're to get away from golf? Like life is more, (laughs) it's, it's not a vacation, right? So if you think it's a vacation, you're going to it's going to be miserable. Retired executives, they come out and they wear everything and all of a sudden their phone doesn't ring and they're depressed. And, you know, you've got to plan what you want to do in retirement. And it's not an easy transition, even though we make it sound like it is. And it's like, oh, you know, I get to go on vacation, but a vacation you never come back from is not that much fun.
1: Anything else you'd like to leave us with?
3: The financial side is pretty simple. That's just math. But planning on what you want to do and why um, will help your marriage. Will help your um, what you want to do in retirement, and give you a lot more options.
1: Clay Gillespie, thanks a lot. This was a very refreshing interview.
3: Yeah, I enjoyed it also. Thanks very much for your time.
1: That was Clay Gillespie of RGF Integrated Wealth Management. brings us to the end of this week's edition of the zoomer weekend review i'm libby zneimer thanks for joining me today be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things zoomer worldwide
0: zoomer weekend review is produced by zeev huddy christine ross and paul thomas technical producer justin Eacock. executive producer moses nimer